You're listening to episode 74 of Chirps, a St. Louis Cardinals podcast for Birds on the Black. He's Alex. I'm Tara, joined by special guest Kyle Reese. And this might be the last show where minor league baseball exists as we know it. Hey, everybody, welcome back to the show. We are still coming to you with no actual baseball to talk about Tara and Alex with you this week. I have a conversation with Kyle Reese that is coming up later on in the show. So stick around for that. Alex, the same question, Mm -hmm. probably the same answer because everything is the same right now. Mm -hmm. How are things? Things are fine. I I haven't (laughs) shaved or uh, cut my hair. Uh, I needed a haircut before this began, so it's it's really out of control now. I kind of have a, uh, you might not know, I don't know, you might know this person is Dan Behar look going on. He is a, uh, he's a musician for the band uh, Destroyer and also the band New Pornographers. Um, I kind of have a, yeah, that's the kind of vibe I'm going with right now. (laughs) I imagine that there are a lot of people at home right now who are kind of finding their like grunge look at this point in their lives. Uh, my dog desperately needs uh, a haircut. <laughs> Dogs are out of control even. Yeah, he's he's definitely out of control at this point. Um, I need a haircut, but I, I, I'm fine. I can I can manage. I have, however, managed to not cut bangs for myself, which is apparently uh, quite the victory. A lot of a lot of people are are finding themselves trying that adventure. Been there, done that. I'd like to not go back to uh, to that phase. So yeah, other than that, uh, things are, are pretty much the same. As far as baseball is concerned, there's nothing to report this week. Not even like a cool rumor uh, as far as what might happen with the baseball season. Oh, wait, I did there... see one today. I did see Okay, one. all right. I missed it. So just, I don't know how. Just... All I've done is live on the internet, but go ahead. I think I saw this. Um, just imagine the two scenarios we talked about last week only add Texas to the mix. So now you have three locations. Oh, <laughs> that's very random. Yeah, I forget where I read that. Huh. At some point, it's going to be like, let's just add a few more to the mix. And then people are going to basically just say, why don't we play at home then? Because we're already (laughs) everywhere anyways. Um, Yeah. But other than that, everyone's still just sort of espousing their various ideas. And none of them are particularly good at the moment. There is the only sort of real newsy thing is that the ongoing discussions between minor league baseball and major league baseball about the player development agreement will continue on Wednesday, which, of course, is the day that this podcast comes out, which means everything that we say today about it, including my long conversation with Kyle, may be irrelevant by, you know, late afternoon or evening tomorrow. But that is the most significant thing that's going on. And, you know, Alex, I know that's not necessarily your uh, your bread and butter as far as the the content goes. But, man, it's it's kind of a big story for a lot of people right now, and we're all just waiting to see what happens but the article from baseball america today indicated that there's a good chance the contraction of a number of teams whether it's 42 or not is likely going to go through yeah that's a shame i will admit up front i didn't read i haven't read that article yet and i'm also going to admit up front that i don't know what the right answer here is so this is just squarely from the perspective of those towns that might be losing a team 
Um, and not necessarily like, oh, this is an outrage, this can't happen. Just squarely from that, the perspective of like, uh, you know, are we, are we still talking Quad Cities, uh, Johnson City? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. From the standpoint of the people who live there in those towns, that's a real bummer. You know, I feel like those teams probably mean something, uh, if not a lot, to those communities. So that's a real bummer. Yeah, yeah I, I know I can speak to the significance of the team here in the Quad Cities. I've been to Peoria, and I know the, the way that that team sort of woven into the fabric of that city, as well as other places in Iowa. Clinton is one on that list as well. And man, it's so tough to imagine just sort of yanking that away from people. And to be fair, the article that came out today said one of the the sticking points in the negotiation continues to be that there's some form of baseball that continues in those cities. But uh, you'll hear in the conversation with Kyle uh, in just a couple of minutes, that's really hard to do. And I don't know what that really looks like. But that's the the big news of the moment, or it will be tomorrow. So stay tuned. I'm sure we'll continue to uh, to dissect that a little bit as we go along. But we've gone almost five minutes into this podcast and have not gotten to the highlight of this show uh, during quarantine, at least. And that is, what is the random thing we've learned this week in, in isolation? Alex, do you want to go first or do you want me to take this one? Uh, you can go ahead. Okay. All right. This is this is very strange, and it's been an ongoing learning process, so it's not necessarily something I learned this week. I don't know if you have purchased any masks or are wearing them when you go out in public. This is a thing that I have learned, though, in trying to find a mask that fits properly. I don't know if I just have strange facial dimensions, but I'm pretty sure it has to do with my ears because I have similar issues with headphones. I cannot find a mask or get a mask made for me that actually fits my face. And it primarily has to do with the the, the loops around my ears. And it just it just pulls off. <laughs> I don't know if my ears are shaped weirdly. Uh, there's not enough not enough for it to, to hold on to or what the deal is. But I was even wearing one out today. And it just it keeps coming off. And it it gives me this weird like pain behind my yeah I don't know it's very strange I had a mask that was made for me and I had to like take the straps in and sew them smaller and it still wasn't great this is a problem I have with headphones as well any sort of in-ear headphones will not stay in my ears I have tried every variety of headphones so what I have concluded this week is that it's just my ears are like none other and they don't fit any sort of standard (laughs) sizing for anything, whether it's a mask with elastic loops or headphones. That is my very random thing that I've learned about my face (laughs) in quarantine. (laughs) I I feel as though you are uh, not equipped for pandemics then. I know. I don't know how to protect myself. (laughs) Uh, Um, I, I've been wearing masks when I like I don't wear masks when I go for a walk outside. Right. Uh, but if I'm going to places where other people are, I wear a mask. And I, I also tried to wear a mask the other day when I went running. That that's uh, that's not something you can do. You, you obviously yeah seems, yeah you can't yeah. breathe well enough. Um, it's so. also really hard to wear them with glasses. Um, I've heard that because yeah. whether they don't fit well with the glasses or they do then when you breathe it just fogs the glasses up 
These are the problems with trying to be a responsible citizen right now and wear a mask. So even before all of this, every once in a while, I would see someone on the metro in D.C. or, or say the bus and, and they would have a mask on. And you'd be like, huh, mm-hmm. that's all right. That's um, interesting, I guess. Um, but I feel as though going forward, this might be a thing we see a lot, even after this yeah. passes. I feel like masks, yeah. wearing a mask in public is going to become a bit more, well, way more commonplace. Yeah. All right. So that's that's my thing. What you got? <laughs> All right. So I, I'm sort of cheating. And I think I've already done this before because my thing isn't so much something I've learned, but just something I've thought about. And today I was listening to a podcast. Um, it's called The Rewatchables, where it's from The Ringer, where they watch old classic movies and basically talk about it. Uh, and today's was about Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Have you seen this movie? I yeah. have. Okay, I, I assumed you have, as most people have. Um, this movie came out in 1986, and uh, I, I believe it was the summer uh, when it came out because my whole family went to go see it in the movie theater. So I was only like seven years old, and I don't know if it's, okay. a, you know, looking back, if it's a movie for seven-year-olds or not, but th- that'll <laughs> soon be a moot point, as, as you're going to see. Um, so we all went to see this movie, and my mom was so bothered by the way they portrayed teachers and administrators as like just total buffoons that, mm. that we, uh, she, she made us leave the movie. Um, <laughs> like barely, barely like 25 minutes in. Of all the things in that movie. Yeah. Like, go on. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, I think she also thought like, uh, you know, this is a, sending a bad message to my kids of like this, quote unquote, cool guy who thinks it's okay to skip school. I don't know. But the, her main thing, yeah. she was offended by the way they like portrayed like the principal and the teachers as just uh, total doofuses, um, if not hmm. worse. So we had to like get up. It was like, you know, the kind of like that loud whispering of like, all right, we're late, you know, like, we're <laughs> leaving. Then we all had to get up and march out of the movie theater. I live in a small town. I don't quite remember it that well, but I wouldn't be shocked if there weren't like people we knew who were seeing like the, the Chris Foley family leaving the theater. Um, <laughs> and it was also like a secret I had to conceal from my friends for like a really long time. Uh, just because it seemed so embarrassing. So like when we talk about this movie, uh, you know, right after it or, or whatever, I, I never once mentioned that, uh, you know, I, my, I had to leave during it at my mom's <laughs> insistence. Uh, I, of course, eventually saw the movie and could and join in conversations, but I still always left out that, that detail. But, to like make up for this, we then drove to Kroger because they had like a back then grocery stores, at least our grocery store had like a small section where you could rent movies. And my mom was like, well, we'll, we'll just rent a movie to make it up to you. Uh, and my mom rented this movie called The River Rat. Have you ever heard of this movie? I have not. Okay. Um, I'm on its Wikipedia page right now. It says it's a 1984 independent family film directed by Thomas Rickman and starring Tommy Lee Jones. We've heard of him. And Martha Plimpton. Um, I'm going to give you the plot, and don't worry, it's very short. Uh, It says, Jonesy is a teenager who meets her father, Billy, who has just been released from prison for the first time. The two slowly forge a relationship as they rebuild a boat named the River Rat. The The father cannot escape his criminal past, being blackmailed by the prison psychiatrist, Doc Cole, who believes he knows the location of a large amount of cash stolen before imprisonment. 
Father and daughter ride the river rat on a picturesque trip down the Mississippi River to Memphis, Tennessee, in an effort to find the money and elude the prison doctor. Along the way, they learn about each other and grow closer. Uh, that's it. All right. So a couple of things. One, read. I don't remember the movie that well, um, <laughs> but reading that synopsis, it, it sounds kind of like it's like a ripoff of like Huck Finn and like Deliverance yeah. almost. Um, <laughs> but two, this movie was terrible and way worse, uh, I, if I recall watching, than Ferris Bueller's Day Off was. It was like, there were like scary parts. And I, I think I remember like leaving the room at a few times because like it was just not a good movie at all for a seven-year-old or probably for anyone for that matter. I don't know. Uh, I don't know what kind of reception it got. It's not even on here. It's, the box office says it made uh, just over $1 million, which I'm guessing even in 19, I get it, it's an independent film and it's 1984. But even back then, that doesn't seem like a lot of money. Um, it also starred, because uh, I mentioned Tommy Lee Jones and Martha Plimpton, it also starred uh, Brian Dennehy, who uh, passed away last week, uh, and mm-hmm. then Sean Smith as Wexel. And that's really the only cast listed. So that's it. Uh, the, the River Rat. Go check it out if you want to. Maybe I will again. Maybe I'll have a different opinion on it. Uh, Maybe it's better the second time. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely not as good as Ferris Bueller's Day <laughs> Off. Uh, I've seen that movie now a bunch of times uh, since yeah. uh, my family had to march out of the theater because uh, my mom was so offended by the movie. It was a very strong mom moment. Yeah, and and a, a bit of lasting trauma for you. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, the, these are the things. We have to revisit some some old moments when there's nothing new happening in the entertainment world. So if you all are listening have some cool thing that you want to tell us about life in quarantine, feel free to do that. In uh, on Twitter, you can leave us a voicemail. We'll include the link in the show notes, and I'm sure it'll be all over Twitter as well when we're trying to get you to send us a uh, voicemail for next week's did, show. Did we get but any voicemails this week? No voicemails oh. this week. There, oh. there was uh, no rush on <laughs> on getting to the voicemail right. box this week. Well, then can I just make one up right now? Yes. All right. Pretend please. I'm calling into the okay. voicemail. Um, all right. Did you see last week how a lot of people were doing this Mount Rushmore for the St. Louis Cardinals? Or I guess every team was doing this, but obviously mm-hmm. Cardinals fans were doing this as well. So I was watching what a lot of people were saying. And I think the Cardinals are an interesting team because, and tell me if you disagree, but the top three seem obvious, or at least close to obvious. And this was... Um, seen other people's results kind of like bore this out, but it seems like people always go with Stan Musial, of course, Bob mm-hmm. Gibson, and then Albert Pujols. Uh, okay. Definitely Stan and Bob. And then, yeah. um, but still most people, I'd say majority have Pujols as well. And then that fourth spot kind of is up for grabs, but up for grabs between two or three people. Uh, first off, would those top three that I just mentioned, would those be in your, in your, I think Mount, so, okay. yeah. That, that sounds pretty good. Yeah, I mean, I could see how people would quibble with Pujols one because um, he's kind of still playing. So, you know, you right. kind of you know, you kind of want to give people space after they retire to think about their careers more. But he was that good with the Cardinals. Kind of hard yeah. to leave him off. And the fact that, you know, we remember Pujols and we remember his dominance, mm-hmm. unlike those other guys that, you know, it's kind of tough to leave him off. But the fourth spot, it seems to always be a mix between Ozzie Smith uh, Rogers Hornsby, and then maybe like Lou Brock, and you'll see a few Dizzy Deans, uh, maybe even a Yachty from someone you know mm-hmm. 
who wants a more contemporary pick in there. I think it's Ozzie Smith. I think it's Stan Musial, Bob Gibson, Albert Pujols, and Ozzie Smith. And I think Ozzie's a good pick for a couple reasons. One, like he just like redefined the shortstop position, played it like no one had before and almost pretty much since. Although, you know, some people have kind of come close. Uh, Two, he kind of defined what is a huge era in Cardinals baseball, which of course is the 80s and the Whitey Herzog era. And his career, you know, people forget this, his career extended into 1996. And he was still a yeah. pretty solid player up until he retired. But also, he, you know, he won a lot. He, he was on three pennant winners and, and won a World Series. And so I think Ozzie Smith is that person. Now, I guess the argument against Ozzie would be that uh, Rogers Hornsby has such a higher wins above replacement than Ozzy as a Cardinal. But like, I mean, this is a guy who played with the Cardinals like in the twenties, <laughs> you know, it's so much harder yeah. to get, to get excited about Rogers Hornsby, especially the fact that then he went and played for the Cubs for a while. And just, mm-hmm. it was so long ago. I think Ozzy's the guy there. Uh, and if you're not going to have Ozzy, then Roger Hornsby's to me is the only other Rogers. I don't, I don't know why it's Rogers, but yeah, Rogers. Uh, I've never met another Rogers. Rogers Hornsby to me is the guy. Uh, Lou Brock is is a fun one as well, but yeah. I think he is. Um, if you would make a second Mount Rushmore for the Cardinals, which would still be a very impressive list, I think he's on that. I think he's on that second list. Um, same with Dizzy Dean, and mm-hmm. uh, I don't. I don't know if Yachty makes my. No, he definitely doesn't. Um, but yeah, who's is Ozzy your fourth? Who do you think's on there? Yeah, I do think that Ozzy would be my fourth, which which doesn't make for a very interesting conversation. Um, but I, when I think, I mean, thinking of Mount Rushmore, you want like these are the the first four faces that come to mind. Like when I think who defines the St. Louis Cardinals, it's these four guys. And yeah, I think for me, it would be Stan Musial, Bob Gibson, Ozzy Smith, and Albert Pujols, and. At some point, you know, when we look back in hindsight, maybe Yachty sneaks into one of those spots because of the career that he's put together. But then you could make that argument for a lot of those other guys you mentioned as well. The cool thing is there are a lot of different ways you could go with that and genuinely defend your argument. But for me, I think I think it would be those four. Yeah. And, and you know, I think I would be happy with that. I, another thing I just thought of, and I agree with what you just said. All right. So. From 1941, I believe that's when Musial started playing with the Cardinals, until 75, you're covered with Musial and Gibson with the Cardinals. And then you have a seven-year gap, and then Ozzie joins the team in 1982 and plays until 1996. And then you have a four-year gap until Pujols shows up and plays until 2011. So from 1941 until 2011, 70 years, you're looking at only, what? what I just say? You're only looking at like, 10 or 11 years where you yeah. don't have one of those guys playing for the team. That's pretty cool. Yeah. That's pretty remarkable. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Lots of history there and, and guys with really long extended careers in St. Louis, which is, is pretty cool. And, you know, maybe it would have been nice to see Albert Pujols extend that a little bit longer, but that's, that's an argument for a, a different day. One that we've had many times over before. Uh, Alex, I want to get to this conversation with Kyle about the minor league and major league negotiations that will continue with a meeting on Wednesday, presumably via Zoom or some some sort of, of teleconferencing app, as that's the only way meetings are, are happening at this point. But it is very important. It's a significant step in what happens 
not only to minor league teams and owners, but to, of course, those players and to the cities and the way that those teams are incorporated into everything about them. So here is that conversation with Kyle. We will circle back at the end to wrap things up. All right, guys, Kyle Reese is joining me now because who else would I discuss minor league baseball drama with other than the one and only Kyle Reese. How are you, first of all, in the middle of all of this? And uh, man, rough day, rough day for minor league fans. Yeah, I'm doing well, Tara. It's a pleasure to join you. And uh, sad news today, even if the news might be uh, contradicted by an MILB statement that came out later in the day, uh, it's still a, a tough pill to swallow in the middle of all of this. So if you haven't seen the news, the gist of it is that the ongoing negotiations between minor league baseball and major league baseball are set to continue this week on Wednesday. And the sources, secret sources familiar with both sides of the equation are evidently suggesting that minor league baseball is for all intents and purposes, basically ready to cave to the demands of Major League Baseball as far as facility upgrades and realigning leagues. And oh yeah, by the way, also going down to 120 minor league teams, which has been the sticking point in all of this, right? The contracting of 40 plus teams in the minor league system and all the pieces that come from that. We've talked about this at length, but there's all of a sudden much more to talk about, including, as you mentioned, a minor league baseball statement that followed that article, a couple of articles actually, that said recent articles on the negotiations between MILB and Major League Baseball are largely inaccurate. There have been no agreements on contraction or any other issues. MILB looks forward to continuing the good faith negotiations with MLB tomorrow, which would be Wednesday, as we work toward an agreement that best ensures the future of professional baseball throughout the United States. First of all, good faith negotiations have not <laughs> been happening at all. So can we just start there? <laughs> God, that's great. Yeah, that's a uh, there. Yeah, it's it's been a publicly waged war. Not only between like I think MLI, MILB gets kind of shoehorned here into a bad spot where it's like every article that I I feel I I read about it, they mention that MILB is the aggressor, and I don't you know I'm biased obviously, but I don't view it necessarily that way. I think a lot of times MILB is. Uh, providing facts, and MLB is trying everything they can to make MILB look bad in the process. Uh, And there's no such thing as good faith negotiations when you are operating from a position of strength, like Major League Baseball is, uh, and holding the person that you're negotiating with hostage, the way that MLB has up until this point, uh, even predating the the COVID outbreak. Uh, They seemed unwilling to budge on their their wants and their needs and their desires for MILB moving forward. So yeah, they can they can suck it with that good faith negotiations. Yeah, man, that just I, I, once again, whoever's my, writing the minor league baseball statements is doing so in a way that just kind of twists the knife a little bit every time, but in like the most pleasant and polite way possible mm-hmm. by trying to you know present a, a good face on all of this, which I think is admirable. I do think that it's very tough to paint the the party with no leverage as the aggressor in something like this, which is what Major League Baseball has tried again and again to do when like, they have no leverage. This is entirely something that they're trying to negotiate without having a whole lot of, of 
a voice in any of this. And that's minor league baseball, the entity, much less the minor league baseball players who are going to lose a lot of job opportunities should this contraction actually happen. Now, as the minor league baseball statement said, nothing has been agreed upon yet. However, even to say that the reports were largely inaccurate, that leaves a lot of room to say, we still don't know what's going to happen in this meeting tomorrow. So just hold on a second. But it doesn't mean this isn't going to happen. No, it actually still sounds like it's being set up that way. I think that people maybe misinterpreted some of what uh, uh, Mr. Uh, I think it was J.J. Cooper for Baseball yeah. America. Mm-hmm. Or that. Yeah, I felt like he was pretty succinct in that article, very, very clearly stating that uh, these are like nothing had been agreed on. And uh, before we we went live here, you brought up the great point. Like these negotiations, these these talks, they don't happen until tomorrow. Uh which would be the 22nd, which would be Wednesday. They don't happen until Wednesday anyway. So, of course, they haven't agreed on anything. And I thought that uh, uh, Mr. Cooper did a very good job of, of laying out, like, what they're willing to uh, uh, conceit in potential negotiations. I, I, that's how I felt, how I interpreted the article. So, uh, yeah, the next the next 36 hours could end up being uh, devastating for a lot of really small communities uh, and a a large group of minor league baseball players and a large group of potential draft picks. Yeah. It's, I just, there's just so much still here to to chew on. It's, there's so many pieces to this, right? And we've talked about some of them to, to varying degrees, but in the article, I just want to read this one uh, paragraph because it kind of sets up what you were saying. Um, When MLB and MILB negotiators convene on a teleconference on Wednesday, multiple sources with knowledge of the negotiations say MILB will indicate that it agrees to 120 affiliated teams in a new PBA. Now, that is the biggest piece of this puzzle, right? Because they've also talked about, okay, we'll we'll change the um, requirements for facilities and we'll realign leagues so that the travel is not such a a problem. And, you know, we'll work on um, a a number of other issues, right? But that that's the biggest piece of this. Although, Kyle, the the kind of underlying story with that piece, as well as what other people have talked about is that they're kind of they've kind of been forced into this by the fact that we're literally trying to survive a worldwide pandemic. And that Man, we've talked a lot. I know I've sort of shouted this from the rooftops, probably annoyingly, but that this decision by Major League Baseball, this play is about power. And we can break that down more and talk about what that means and how it would give them more control in a minute. But to do it at this point, and granted, this meeting may have been on the books a long time ago, but to then in the middle of this situation where a lot of people are just struggling to figure out what to do next week, to just plow ahead with something that's not yeah. only going to eliminate these teams, but also even if those teams stay there in some form or fashion, which is another thing we can talk about, you're taking a lot of financial investment out of these communities that are already hurt. Like it just, it's mind boggling that the power struggle is coming to a head at this point and major league baseball is not willing to budge. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they're definitely taking advantage of the situation. And we talk about, and it's something that we've all talked about quite a bit, You both you and I, uh, uh, but it's tough on these communities as it is. It's tough on these minor league uh, 
owners and minor league front offices as it is during a full season uh, to recoup funds to, to make good money that that right now you know when they're struggling when everyone's struggling uh you know everybody who is non-essential personnel is struggling and, and facing hardships for for it to feel forced right now and maybe it's maybe we're just feeling it maybe it isn't as forced as it, as you and I feel it or uh, uh maybe the the talks tomorrow will go a completely different way uh but to to force it now to push it now is it just proves how much of a business baseball is because uh you know it definitely isn't there isn't a human side to this right now at least it doesn't feel like it to me yeah yeah so we've talked about the potential problems with eliminating rounds in the draft which looks like that's also going to be a more permanent thing not just this year because of the lack of college baseball at the at the moment but eliminating these teams is also going to eliminate what roughly 2000 <laughs> jobs um, over the the expanse of minor league baseball. There's a lot of jobs out there for these minor league players that are just going to go away. Kyle, you watch more minor league baseball than probably anyone else that I know. And it's tough to eliminate those teams because it takes away those opportunities from guys who are likely big leaguers, right? Like, how do you eliminate those teams and still say that it's good for the game of baseball going forward? I have so many questions in general about the whole elimination aspect uh, uh, of minor league teams. In the report from Baseball America, they mentioned that as they eliminate teams, they're also going to bring two independent league teams back into the affiliated fold. That's interesting to me because if the argument you're making is that contraction is good for the players, uh, that it's good for development, uh, that it's good for the organizations. It'll it'll help mainline travel. Uh, you know, it'll help con- uh, condense and consolidate leagues and divisions. It'll allow for easier and better travel. Uh, it'll allow for better playing conditions. Well, if you're bringing in independent league teams into an affiliated aspect of, of major league baseball, then you could do that. You could just do that. Like you don't need to cut teams. You can do it. <laughs> And adjust uh, accordingly, especially if, as the article mentions, one of the concessions that minor league baseball is willing to make in, in these negotiations is that major league baseball is going to take on a stronger role in the what seems like to me the day-to-day operations of minor league baseball. Uh, so, uh, to be honest, you could grow it. You could grow the sport here. You could make major league baseball uh, and the affiliated game thrive, and you can make it easier on the players, and you could pay the players. But all that this is, is it is it'll always be and it always has been about consolidating finances. That's all that this is about. I, you know, since the minute we found out that even before that, since the minute that this was, you know, uh, rumored, the minute we found out that this came from Jeff Lunau and his brain trust, we all knew (laughs) what this was about. Uh, And don't think for one second that this has anything to do with anything other than just not having to pay X amount of players. You know, uh, one of the things that the article says too is there, one of the things that uh, the MILB uh, brain trust is going to try to do is create some type of affiliation. Uh, and it's not those, those dream teams or whatever the dream league or whatever the hell that thing was. 
Uh, but they're going to try to keep those teams affiliated in some capacity, which sounds like which sounds like the actual dream league to me because I, don't, I can't imagine how Major League Baseball <laughs> is going to sign on for that. Uh, but I just see a lot of obstacles that you could grow the sport without you could grow the sport. There'd be no contraction at the minor league level that would still be good for the players, uh, for the towns. Uh, and to also fold in additional towns with additional players. Uh, and, and none of that's going to happen just because of the cost. And that blows my mind for a $10 billion industry. Yeah, I think that's the key is that this is not, I mean, this year, notwithstanding, because everyone's going to be uh, doing air quotes, hurting to mm-hmm. some extent or another compared to normal. Yeah. This is a $10 billion industry, and it doesn't make a lot of sense for the, the folks at the very top of that to be so concerned about the the minor cost in relative terms of the guys at the bottom of the food chain when there's so much more that they could do with it. You're right. I'm curious, though, about this idea of uh, some sort of supported league, some sort of development structure that wouldn't be affiliated, but it would be supported by Major League Baseball. First of all, that sounds, it sounds complicated in trying to figure out what supported by means, right? And I think that's probably what some of these ongoing conversations will be about is, you know, is it supported financially? Because if it is, then why wouldn't it just be continue to be an affiliated team? If it's supported by, encouraging undrafted players to sign there. Like that's just kind of arbitrary and doesn't mean anything. If it's supported by saying, you know, we'll send scouts to those games so that these guys who don't get drafted and end up playing there will still have a shot at playing on a major league team someday. I don't know what that means. What, what variation of supported would make this make sense? And then we'll kind of veer off of that to some of the the other issues with taking away the affiliation from a team. But let's start there. What what support would make this make any sense? I've got I honestly have nothing. The closest that yeah. I, the, the closest that I can come to is maybe they try to figure out something similar to what they do with the Dominican Academies. Not not the Dominican affiliated teams, but like the Dominican Academies. So you get a 13 or you get a 10-year-old Dominican kid, you get him into an academy where he plays baseball, he learns English, you know, learn some other um, uh, Western uh, traditions. Uh, and then that player is given an opportunity to sign with the teams that are sponsoring those academies or sign with any team that they want when it becomes time to sign, when they're signing eligible. And maybe something like that happens. Maybe what they say is, all right, uh, uh, State College, if you're still affiliated with the Cardinals, uh, the Cardinals are going to pay X amount of your costs. They're not going to pay the players. You have to pay the players. Uh, and we get like first dibs on signing them or something like that. Like that's that's the closest that I can come up with where it's not affiliated. It's some hackneyed version of the Dominican uh, preteen, the way that Dominican preteens are treated and independent league baseball. That's I mean, th- that's all that I can think of. Yeah, it. I can't imagine that Major League Baseball would be willing to offer much more than that in terms of financial support, simply because that's what this is all about, right? Being able to control who goes where and who does what and how their money is spent. Um, We did talk a little bit about this on Twitter before we got started. And uh, 
good buddy, friend of <laughs> friend of the show, Daniel Shapta asked a question. We had a couple of other questions that were wardrobe related, which not sure how that fits in here, but maybe we'll get to that later. Um, but Daniel Shapta asked, how much of the appeal of minor league baseball in certain areas is the game versus seeing players as they move up the ladder? In other words, could some sort of loose conference of teams work even without Major League Baseball ties. And that's exactly what Major League Baseball is saying would yeah. happen, right? That there's not really an association between fan bases and the affiliate. So it doesn't matter what kind of baseball is still there as long as there is baseball. Do you buy that? I refuse to answer any question from Daniel Shaftal. That's where... That, <laughs> no, I I don't. I, I buy it, but I don't because I think in principle, all they're trying to do is move those teams closer to independent baseball. And we've seen how, you know, minor league baseball struggles, but independent league baseball struggles uh, like substantially, their struggles are substantially larger than what minor league baseball has to go through in order to turn a profit. So uh, like, well, I understand the sentiment and I, it is a great question. Don't tell him that I I can't, I refuse to concede that that's a great question if you were Secret here. safe with me. Thank you very much. Uh, <laughs> um, but to his, you know, his point, in other words, his question could some sort of loose conference of teams work even without MILB ties? I don't I don't believe so because I don't think that independent league baseball has thrived the way that maybe maybe it could. And I, I think that that's almost solely because it doesn't have the affiliation to, to Major League Baseball. That's, you know, that is it's golden. That affiliation is is worth it's worth something and without that it's it's hard to to uh, i guess it's hard to proliferate it's also hard to promote i think and that's yeah. part of the problem right because you go to a minor league team and 90% of their giveaways well, maybe not 90 but yeah. <laughs> a large percentage of their giveaways are in some way related to their major league affiliation whether it's a bobblehead or a backpack or a schedule that has the minor league team and the major league team on a refrigerator magnet there's a lot that they do with utilizing that relationship in their own promotion and it makes it feel more significant it makes it feel like it's a step above even if maybe it isn't from you know some of the best independent league teams that are out there i i think it's not all it's not all about the fans directly relating, oh, I'm going to go to this game because they're affiliated with this major league team that I like. But there is even a subconscious elevation to the fan experience. Now, I will say I've worked in and around minor league baseball enough to know that minor league baseball is not all about the baseball. And I work and cover a team that literally has built an amusement park yeah. <laughs> around the stadium. There's a kid's roller coaster and a merry-go-round and a Ferris wheel and a, you know, twist, drop and twist or whatever it is. And it drives me, the baseball fan, absolutely insane ah. because I want people to go there for baseball. <laughs> yeah. But part of the minor league baseball thing is creating an experience but then once people are there, particularly kids, once they can get up close and get autographs and meet players and know them by name, and the next time they go to a game, they wave at that same player and they come over and say hello, There's you can't replace that. And while, yes, that can still happen in independent leagues, I'm certain that it does, you don't create that sort of 
fan for life of your business because there's no guarantee that they'll stay part of your business if it's just a guy who may get a, a, an affiliated contract someday, but maybe not. Maybe this is the end of the line for that. So you'll still develop some fans in that same way, but they're not necessarily going to develop the loyalty to your organization in the same way that they would if there was an affiliation. And that's the part that seems to be completely missing from at least the public conversations from the Major League Baseball side. Oh, that's very well said. Yeah, I think I think that's great. Uh, the difference is, and you know, all those things you said are true, but just to like, I guess, elaborate further, if, if you're shaking hands as an, a 10 year old with a guy who's 20 years old playing at, you know, state college and he signs your, your ball, uh, you know, in 10 years when you're looking to spend money, you know, when you're 20 years old and, you know, you're, you're in college or whatever is happening, like that player just might be at the major league level at the age of 31. He might've just gone through his prime when you were still developing your interest and, uh, uh, crafting the person that you end up becoming and that's like that's always that's the magic of, of professional sports like you know that that's especially baseball because they play every day it's like going to yeah. a, a regular job that we that we all experience that's what makes baseball so relatable that's you know that's why it was quote unquote america's game is we were all going to work every day it's just that we got to watch them and enjoy them do their job uh and play a game that we all loved playing uh in the process so I, I think that that is the difference. Like without that that guarantee, without that possibility, when you're taking the odds away of something like that happening, which is in effect what this would do, it would take the very the already minuscule odds of having that type of journey to the major leagues and then through the major leagues. Uh, that that those small odds, it almost it virtually eliminates them in those cities at those levels. And there really is something to following a player's journey. I know that from the perspective more from covering players at the minor league level and then watching them all the way up through the system. But I've talked to so many people who now are so invested in the minor league journey of a player because they saw them up close and in person or they were a host family for a player. And now I mean, that's that's the loyalty, right? Is that they're invested in this person's future. And if I did a story, I don't know, 10 years ago now about a host family in Peoria and they were Cubs fans who were hosting Cardinals minor leaguers. And one of the kids who grew up a Cubs fan said, well, I guess we have to be Cardinals fans yeah. now. I mean, that's where that loyalty comes from, right? You suddenly have a connection that you didn't have before. So I don't know, is it possible for baseball to be sustained in some of these communities without an affiliation? Probably, because there is still a draw in Iowa, for example. There isn't baseball all across the state. There isn't baseball all around us. And a lot of the, these teams in Iowa are the closest any fans are going to get to, you know, quote, real baseball, anything over the, the college game. So, yes, there's still the chance to involve the community and reach out to players and build a fan base, but it's not creating that same loyalty. It's not creating that same connection that will last for the entirety of that player's career. The, the other thing, though, is that it just is likely not going to be financially feasible for a lot of these teams. And that's where 
this whole idea, the dream league, the concept of things just continuing as normal without an, a major league logo slapped on the side of the, the program falls pretty flat because it, it's going to, I saw some numbers today, you know, cost these teams 300000 to $400,000 a year more mm. to continue uh, with these teams. And while some people might say, see, that's why they shouldn't exist if they can't afford that on their own. Yeah. Minor league baseball is not the $10 billion industry here. Yeah. 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 It's frustrating. Uh, that part of it, you know, uh, the effect of the communities is terrible. I, I, I'm just, the more we talk about it, the more I feel like the world zap out of me, you know, the, the life yeah. zap out of me. It's just, uh, I don't know. I, I know this, like I would love to take a trip to state college to see affiliated baseball. I right. don't think I'll take a trip to state college to, see unaffiliated baseball and that's like part of the part of my love of minor league baseball came from being able to you know it, it existed before this but you know my friends a lot of my close friends went to missouri state in springfield missouri uh i graduated high school in 04 they were there until 2008 uh i spent a little time there as well uh but like part of my love was being able to go visit them on a weekend have a good time with them but also watch baseball down there uh, like that's, that's a fun trip. Uh, and it, you know, not only from like, uh, a romance of the, the game of baseball with those communities, uh, and the people like visiting, like people like myself, um, it, like that goes away here. And that's, it's not a huge portion. It's not a huge fraction of the fans, but it is part of the fans. It's, it's, you know, in my opinion, my experience there just goes to show you, the, the immersion that you have in those communities uh, and, and just how important it is, especially especially State College. Like the State College one is is terrible. They yeah. have an affiliation with Penn State. Uh, they have, relatively speaking, they have tremendous facilities uh, and it makes no sense why that would be one of the teams that would fold. Uh, and that's that's terrible to me. But yeah, like it's just a whole frustrating thing and it's not even necessarily about like, uh, uh, the players. It's not even necessarily about the organizations. It's not even necessarily about the communities. It's just about the interest level in the sport and, and how that changes even tourist revenue uh, at, at a very, very small level. So yeah. it, it just, there are so many different ways that the contraction of minor league teams uh, and uh, taking away the affiliation of major league baseball affects the sport uh, especially as a sport grows, you don't, you don't contract as things grow, you expand as things grow. And, you know, that, that's where, that's where I'm most frustrated with the, I'm happy for those two towns, those two independent league teams that are going to end up being roped into the fold here. Uh, if that ends up happening, if it ends up happening that way, but all that tells me is that once again, uh, that this is just a cost cutting measure. That's all it is. Because if you can, if you can bring teams in to make things easier for travel, et cetera, uh, then you don't need to contract at all. You can bring teams in and make it easier. You can do it that way. You can bring more players in, you know, even, even if the players make double what they're making, uh, now, uh, or, you know, uh, if they make double what they're making now, you could still afford another affiliation if you wanted to. Uh, and here I go ranting. It also is the whole, like we talked the last time I was on, 
uh, with the Dominican Summer League teams. They're talking yeah. about contraction, talking about contraction. Well, every nearly every major league team added a second Dominican Summer League team. So it, I don't know. I just it, it's such a hypocrisy, uh, and it's uh, what I think is minor league baseball has expanded uh, in the periphery over the last couple of years in a way that I don't think major league baseball anticipated it happening soon. And I think they could see the people unlike, you know, like the layman, the layman baseball fan or the average baseball fan who isn't aware of the situation in the Dominican, isn't aware of the situation at the minor league level, wasn't aware of pay, became aware of it a lot sooner than they thought. And I think that they're scrambling to get rid of what they can before it is like full on common knowledge by the, the majority of baseball fans. That's how I feel uh, along with the financial uh, uh, cut that comes with contraction. I'm just looking this up because I meant to bring this up earlier. And what you just said reminded me, kind of going back to the the whole control element of this. There was talk last fall about minor league baseball broadcast rights and if those rights could be sold and if more minor league baseball games could end up televised or at least broadcast on some sort of streaming service in a, a more official capacity. Do you recall when that conversation was going around? I just looked up the article uh, because I don't remember a lot of the details, but it's so interesting to me that that came up as this whole contraction thing was also on the table. And one of the pieces of the, the Baseball America article that we talked about before we started recording was this idea that there's some underlying issue with between minor league baseball and major league baseball about how MILB does their business, essentially, that just sort of was a passing mention in the article. But I'm fascinated by the idea that perhaps it wouldn't shock me at all in what we've seen with how major league baseball does its business. They suddenly saw this growing opportunity and wanted to make sure that it was benefiting them and not just minor league baseball. Oh, absolutely. And even the last part of that article, I mean, everything about the article and everything about just the major league baseball owners in this circumstance screams just wanting to gain control of the product and as much of the product as they can. Uh, You know what it feels like to me to a degree? And this is the first time I've I've formulated this thought. So that means I couldn't be any more wrong. uh, (laughs) But to me, it feels like when I was a kid and InBev bought Anheuser-Busch. That's kind of what it feels like, like the early stages of that. Like I remember being in St. Louis and that happening and being like everyone here being concerned about it uh, because uh, InBev was known for cutting jobs and streamlining uh, while also under and everybody here was worried about them honoring the tradition. Now they did a great job of honoring honoring the tradition, but they also cut a bunch of jobs and cut costs. And I, it could be argued that it wasn't in the best interest of any of the communities at Budweiser and that AB uh, directly, like the ten major breweries in uh, in the states that AB had at the time, uh, or, or even St. Louis for that matter. And uh, like that's how I feel. But also, it goes to show you on the business level that what major league baseball is doing is they're trying to gain as much control while cutting costs and making it as easy as possible for them to monetize that uh, a year ago when that whole, all that stuff happened with MILB uh, and their, their television product. Uh, I, I distinctly remember that because I was off the chain uh, with my dumb, dumb Twitter comments uh, because of how bad the MILB TV player was. Now I was tweeting at MLB MLB advanced media and they were kind enough to slide into my direct messages and tell me to leave them alone, uh, but to also direct my 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 vitriol towards MILB. And I didn't. I 
didn't quite understand what was going on at that time. I hadn't heard about it because uh, I was I was kind of jumping the gun a little. And then all of that came out. Uh, and like you're on to something there. There's something something about that. Uh, I know that from an this is this is all hearsay, but I've been told that last year the MILB TV product uh, had a substantial size growth as far as people subscribing to the product. Um, so I, there might be something there, but yeah, that, that's all that this is. It's just a, a way to uh, buy a product uh, to, I guess, not buy. That's not fair because that's not exactly what it is, but to assert a dominance in a product as an organization, as an entity in a position of supreme strength uh, at a time when things couldn't be worse from an economic standpoint, uh, especially for small businesses, which is what I view each minor league baseball affiliated team as, just its own individual small business, uh, taking advantage of just a terrible time uh, for small businesses right now. And that it just it's a confluence of, of turd is what it is. That's what it feels yeah. like to me. Yeah. Yeah. In every facet. Um, just for the sake of playing devil's advocate for a moment, okay. if we talk about what minor league baseball looks like with 120 teams, right, as opposed to its current structure with 160 or whatever it is, is there an argument to be made that while, yes, from the sort of scummy used car, car salesman business side of things, it's not great for Major League Baseball to take its billion dollar profits and try to squeeze a little bit more out of them at the sake of, you know, 1200 to 2000 minor league players and the communities. Is there an argument to be made that almost reinvesting or recreating that development process will actually create better major league players? Is that an argument that you can even like pretend to make as the devil's advocate at this point? I think that, look, I understand how that argument could be made. Uh, I personally think that uh, that's, that's a bit short-sighted. It's a, it's a bit um, maybe even altruistic. That's not the right word, but it, it's, it's, it's a bit too much like looking for something in my opinion. Sure. Uh, I think the, the best way to get, the best athletes is to make it as available for as many people as possible. Now, I do think that there is an additional argument to be made that the draft, like I understand why people think the draft is too long. I, I tend to disagree, uh, but I understand that way of thinking. And honestly, from my point, it's hard to argue against that. I think that there are a lot of affiliates. Uh, I think that contraction isn't necessarily the worst thing, but I, my premise is it's not contraction of the short season clubs. It's contraction of the, 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 the Dominican leagues that have just been expanded and of the Gulf Coast League. That, like, that's, that's my thought. Uh, I, I don't think you need to uh, – and that's the other thing we should probably talk about. The reason that you're not – like in this article, they're saying that there's going to be one rookie-level affiliated playing at each complex. Well, that would be the Gulf Coast League team for the Cardinals. I would argue that that team could go. That, like the Gulf <laughs> Coast League is a joke to me, I, and I get it. It's about – playing in controlled environments, yada, 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 blah, blah, blah. But everything about baseball nowadays, until you get to the professional level, is controlled. Uh, you know, players don't learn the game the same way. Everything is a controlled environment. They don't need control. They need chaos. Like, they need they need that chaos. And now, that's my own personal belief, and I could be wrong. And I'm not saying chaos that is uh, in the form of making $1,100 a month. 
Uh, I, I'm talking about they need to be thrown to the fire of the daily grind. Uh, I mean, if you're going to have the Dominican Summer League, if you're going to have multiple leagues in the Dominican, it's not like you need a, an additional stepping stool of introduction to baseball that that would happen in those leagues. Like they're there for that for for kids who are born in the uh, Caribbean islands to to learn the the game in a more controlled manner. Uh, but we talked about it the last time too. The, baseball is not something that you start doing, you know, when you're you're five years old for weekends for you know ten weeks out of the year. Baseball is a profession for amateurs before they even get into double digits. At this point, they're learning the game. Uh, at a professional level uh, at a younger age than ever. So if, if the argument is that introduce like this, what this will do is this will create a more controlled environment. I would argue that they've been dealing with the controlled environment uh, since they started playing and they've been playing more aggressively now than ever at a younger age than ever. So uh, to me, it's a complete farce and it's really just looking for something. Uh, I, I also heard somebody, um, I mean, I heard it on the radio today uh, I had to go to the gro- so I took off today. Had to go to the grocery store. Heard it on the radio, and I heard somebody say something along the lines of, uh, "This will force organizations to get the best people to develop their players." And the argument that I would make right now is, "Isn't that what all organizations are trying to do now?" Yeah. Do you think that all of a sudden, like, "Oh, wait, we're we're tr- contracting forty-two teams." Now we've got to go and get so and so. Now we've got to go and go go and get so and so. No, the only change that's going to happen is if organizations flip over, and that stuff's going to happen anyways. Like that doesn't change the dynamic. All that does is is fulfill what happens and has happened for years and years with just the normal action that comes with a front office turnover. So uh, you know, again, I I understand the argument, and I definitely understand people who say that the draft can be knocked down. I, I, honestly, like, I think that you could probably contract the draft, uh, not to 20 rounds, not to 10, not to five. I think you could probably cut five rounds off of that because honestly, in those last five rounds, a lot of times what happens is high schoolers get drafted that teams can't afford to sign. Uh, so yeah, I, th- I think you could maybe drop it down five rounds. I think maybe you could drop it down 10 rounds. Uh, maybe that causes organizations to be a little bit more thrifty. I don't think you need 40 rounds worth of players to fill the organizations or the affiliated clubs that you have right now. Uh, I think 30 rounds gets that done. 35 rounds gets that done. Uh, But I don't think that there's an argument to be made that the contraction of teams in any capacity is good for the overall health of baseball in any capacity. Yeah. Yeah. Short-sighted, as you said at the beginning of that, seems to be the um, the key because it does seem like it's an immediate solution perhaps to saving a little money so that they can save a little face and turn around and pay their players a little bit more. Um, but long-term, it doesn't seem like there's a lot that uh, that is made better by this uh, other than, you know, perhaps... <laughs> Increasing that billion-dollar profit margin even more, which is, I guess, the the real, um, the real uh, underlying story. Kyle, I know that we could talk about this round and round in circles forever. Is there anything else about this contraction issue or the the fact that minor league players, I don't know, are facing maybe not having a season this year at all, and then also, by the way, 
having 25% less jobs available next year? Anything else that we haven't talked about that you want to dive into before I let you get on with uh, with your evening? One thing that definitely comes to mind that probably should get mentioned is, you know, it, it, we should probably try to look for a different solution to all this. And one of the issues right. that you and I both have about this is that it's happening now. And the fact that both of these sides, especially Major League Baseball, because Major League Baseball is operating from such a position of strength here, they could get clever, they could do whatever the hell they wanted. Um, this could very well be easily mitigated by just pushing all of these conversations off by one year. Just yeah. push it off by a year, stay in communication, and revisit next year. Uh, because of the situation we're in with uh, the pandemic, there should be a special exemption made here. Both of these sides, including Major League Baseball, should be smart enough to realize how dangerous the water is that they're treading on uh, and just say, look, we're going to stay in touch. We're going to figure it out. All of these negotiations are, are, are ongoing. But our tentative agreement is to push the everything back one year, uh, extend the agreement one year, push everything back one year and figure it out from there. I, I have a... Uh, a very, very, I am very adverse to the idea of acting emotionally or acting uh, to one's advantage in the time, in tough times. And that's what this feels like. I don't know if you could argue against it. And I think that this is, this along with everything is one of those situations where you have to, you have to wade the storm in order to get the best results. And we're not going to get the best results if we're making decisions about the long-term future about baseball right now during a pandemic. Yeah. I mean, when there are so many other issues that have to be determined, the most public of which is, are we going to play baseball? And probably some of the least public pieces of that are, are who's getting paid and how if we don't play baseball. <laughs> Spoiler alert, it's not going to be the minor league players. Yeah. Um, but those there's so many details, so many things that have to be worked out with that, that this feels like, because look, there's a very real chance that some of the smaller market minor league teams who depend on a faithful fan base to support them during the summers, which is, let's be honest, most of them, there's a real chance that some of them might not be able to make it through a summer without baseball. And then what do you do from there? So there are so many other repercussions of just sort of the societal circumstances right now that it seems really, I don't know, it, it just, it doesn't help Major League Baseball look like the good guy to continue to say, no, nah, this is where we were before. We're still in the same place. We still don't want you 42 teams in baseball or whatever the number ends up being. My suspicion all along has been that they won't contract all 42 that were initially discussed, but that it'll be some variation of that. At this point, that's not really the the priority or, or perhaps it shouldn't be. And maybe that's where my issue lies with this is that this doesn't feel like it should be the priority. And while it's great that, you know, you're trying to continue some sort of business as usual, I suppose, and go ahead with the meeting that was on the books already. I, I don't know, just if there's any time for some concessions to be made because of circumstances, even if there's not really a resolution to the actual argument, it feels like this is it. And, and I, I don't know, 
that maybe that's a naive way of looking at it. But yeah, I, I agree. I think that there's a there's a real, at least perception problem with being in the middle of this situation and then also dashing hopes even further for so many people. Mm, very well said. Very well said. I, I have nothing to add to that. <laughs> All right. Well, um, yes, as as I mentioned, the, the conversations continue about when baseball will be played. And I keep seeing this idea that minor league baseball might not be played at all. And, and certainly we hope that that's not the case for all of those players who are, I don't know, have they even gotten their initial checks yet? That seems to still be a question yeah. that's up in the air. But lots to talk about on the minor league front, as always. Kyle, thank you for just tossing this around with me, even if there's no real conclusion at this point. It's a lot more interesting to discuss it with an actual person than to just talk myself in circles for 45 minutes. <laughs> yeah, I, I appreciate it too for that very same reason. And uh, it's always a pleasure to join you. Well, thank you again to Kyle for hanging out for a little bit and talking through this. I know it's a bit of a soapbox for me, but I do think it's really important overall to what baseball looks like moving forward. And change isn't always all bad, Alex, but this seems to be pretty short-sighted. And that is what a lot of people are, are were hoping to avoid. We'll see what ends up happening with this. But thanks to Kyle for talking it through with me. We have one thing left to get to on this show, and that is, Alex, the Chirp of the Week. Okay. Uh, Tara, did you watch The Last Dance on Sunday? I, as a childhood jazz fan, begrudgingly watched, but also I'm a starved sports fan, and it was fascinating. So, yes, I watched. <laughs> you liked it? Yeah, I liked it. Yeah, it was uh, good. It was good. Yeah, I'm, I'm really into it and really excited for it. I, I think just Michael Jordan was the best basketball player I've ever seen and best athlete, best whatever you want to call it I've ever seen. I, he was just remarkable to watch. And, uh, you know, a lot of people called him MJ. I call him MJ from time to time when okay. he was in his uh, doing his thing. There were several other famous MJs. Uh, I guess Magic Johnson was an MJ, but no one really called him that because, you know, he, had, he already had a, a nickname <laughs> that uh, was almost more ubiquitous than his actual name. Uh, um, I think I definitely knew who Magic Johnson was when I was little for several years before I knew what his actual first name was. Um, but that's not really important right now. Uh, there was also Michael Jackson. Um, but, uh, you know, for obvious reasons, uh, Michael Jordan is the supreme MJ, I think, of, of that group. Um, I, for no reason really whatsoever, certainly for no important reason, I wanted to look at Cardinals MJs. Okay. Um, you know, <laughs> guys who played for the Cardinals who have had the initials MJ. And to do such an undertaking, the place you want to go is Baseball References uh, Trusty Play Index. And I just did a search for players uh, for Cardinals whose first name started with M and last name started with J. And then I just sorted by uh, wins above replacement. And I, I did batters first. And Tara, I, for what I thought would be pretty common initials, there have been barely any MJs to ever play for the Cardinals. Really? Yeah, and I, I'm, I'm going back to 1871, or at least that's what it's telling me this search went back to. Hmm. Um, for batters, there have been five 
And two of these people are pitchers. So you're going to hear from them on the other side too. <laughs> and the best hitter for their career by wins above replacement as a Cardinal with the initials MJ is Marcus Jensen. Do you remember Marcus Jensen? I do not. He had 42 plate appearances for the Cardinals in 1999. Okay. Uh, and he has 0.2 war. He hit 235, 350, 471. He had one home run and one RBI. Um, that is, that, that's the leader here. Um, <laughs> then you also have... Big uh, shoes to fill. <laughs> yeah. Then you also, <laughs> behind him, you have... Uh, and again, I'm looking at hitters, but you know, pitchers bat too. So anyone with a plate appearance uh, shows up here. Second is relief pitcher Mike James, um, 0.0 war. And then uh, pitcher Mike Jackson, again, 0.0 war. Uh, Mark Johnson, a catcher for the Cardinals in 2008. Gosh, I don't remember him. See, that's uh, the one name that I'm like, oh, I he, seem to remember that guy. Okay. <laughs> Negative zero point one war, and oh, then here's maybe. the name. I yeah, here's the name I do remember, Mike Jorgensen, okay. uh, mostly for when he was uh, coaching the Cardinals, not playing for the Cardinals. Also zero point one war, and that's in two hundred fifty four plate appearances with the Cardinals from eighty four to eighty five. So that's it for hitters, just five, and wow. like I said, two of them were pitchers. So then you go over to pitchers, and there's just two, the two guys <laughs> I just mentioned. Um, and the leader of this group is Mike James with 0.4 war. Um, and I, I remember Mike James from two, he pitched from 2000, 2001. Uh, he pitched in 91 games. Uh, let's see, 89 innings. He had a, uh, you know, 403 ERA, which, you know, given the time period, that wasn't bad, a 4.99, uh, FIP. And, uh, yeah. And then after that, oh, he was, if I didn't say it already, I think I did, but he was worth 0.4 war. And then after him and the only other MJ to ever pitch for the Cardinals, unless I did something wrong, I don't think I did, but unless I did something wrong, the only other MJ to pitch for the Cardinals is Mike Jackson, who pitched for the Cardinals in 1971, one game, pitched <laughs> one game, uh, and, and is worth 0.1 war. Uh, he threw... <laughs> He didn't throw a full inning. He threw two-thirds of an inning. He uh, gave up a hit, walked a batter, but he uh, didn't allow anyone to score. So he that was worth um, 0.1 war. And that's it. Those are, those are your MJs. So I think, uh, you know, this is a very limited list. Uh, you know, we're only talking about the Cardinals, but I still think Michael Jordan, based on what I'm seeing here, is the most famous MJ I know of. Here's the question that mm -hmm. I would want to follow that up with. Was mm -hmm. he also a better baseball MJ <laughs> than any of those guys? <laughs> probably well, not. Well, I, I guess most people say probably not. What I will say <laughs> in his defense, because uh, I'm an embarrassing Michael Jordan uh, defender, um, if you ever watch that documentary about I think it was a 30 for 30 when he actually did that to go play baseball. The people who played with him in what I believe was the, I think it was the winter league or the fall league. I don't quite remember, but basically after he had already had his first season with the uh, Birmingham Barons and then, you know, there was an off season and he came back, you know, to get ready for the next season. Um, they said when he came back, he looked like a baseball player. Like his body looked like mm -hmm. it was in the shape of a baseball player and he seemed he, he was 
way better than he had been the year before. Um, now, I'm not saying he would have ever been a great baseball player or even would have made the majors, but based on their count, he actually may have had a chance. And that's freaking remarkable, if that's true, to think about a guy who, again, hadn't played baseball since high school to may have been able to somehow eke his way to the majors. Now, Michael Jordan has a way of putting everyone in his presence kind of in awe or, or intimidating them. So maybe they're just <laughs> saying that because they want to, uh, you know, uh, remain in whatever good graces they were already in. But yeah, uh, there's also a very interesting story I heard from, uh, you know, you know, do you know, uh, his manager was Francona with in Birmingham. Okay. Which is pretty amazing, right? Yeah. yeah Terry Francona yeah. was his manager in Birmingham. Wow. I guess there was an, a game early on where Jordan got, had a pretty good pitch to hit and he just missed it and popped it up. And he kind of like threw his bat down and then like kind of, uh, you know, jogged the first, not very happy. And then Francona pulled him aside and was like, uh, so is, uh, is that what we're doing here? We're not running out, uh, you know, is, is that how we're acting? And he said, Jordan said, I, I'm sorry, it will not happen again. And he said it never did. I thought that's kind of interesting, wow. you know, a guy who goes from easily the top person in his sport to kind of getting chided um, for not running out a ball <laughs> in, uh, in double-A and, and taking it. I mean, he yeah. had to take it. If yeah. you don't take it, like, all right, get out of here, superstar. You're not a baseball right. player. So Yeah, I guess he, I, can, I, he can yell at people on his turf, maybe not so <laughs> yeah, much on yeah, the baseball yeah. field. <laughs> exactly. And, and because I would like to read more or almost have another movie about that stint in baseball because yeah. it's still so weird that it even happened. Right, right. Well, I will continue watching the documentary, although nine-year-old me feels a little bit of a dagger every time uh, Every time the postseason highlights come up. But nonetheless, Tara, I will Tara, watch it. I mean, did your parents tell you, like, listen... I know you're excited, but this is the Bulls and Jordan we're talking about here. It might you don't know. Okay, so not to dive off onto this tangent, but <laughs> I was talking to someone the other day, and I, I genuinely think that there should be almost like a parallel documentary, maybe not like a 10-part series, but some sort of parallel commentary. Because growing up in Utah at that time, people don't understand how big of a deal that was and how good oh, those sure. teams were and how important sure. that was and how much buzz there was in the the entire area. So to recognize that it's Michael Jordan and the Bulls in the, the their prime, that's fine, but it didn't matter because, and it's like that with any, any fandom, right? But it was such a big deal at that point in time. And it was so incredibly important to the entire state because that's all we had as far as professional sports teams were concerned. So I, I would love to see kind of the parallel of what the, the Utah Jazz season was like that year. Obviously not to the extent because there weren't quite the characters that you had with the with the Chicago Bulls. But um, just to, you know, I don't know, acknowledge the, the other side of that story at some point. But that's not no, what most were, people would be interested in. <laughs> they, were, they were a great team. I, I liked their team. I always liked Jerry Sloan. And I always also like, I'm a Bulls fan, but I always like 
the NBA teams where that's the only show in town. Yeah. I always feel like the crowds really yeah. are into it in a way that some other sports towns aren't. Mm-hmm. And Utah's like that. I think uh, Portland's like that. Yep. Memphis, I love Memphis's, you know. So, yeah, no, I you could feel it. Like Utah fans are, you know, they love it. They yeah. love they love their jazz. So. And the the heartbreak is still very real for so many people. But nonetheless, I will watch uh, watch the the basketball MJ and not worry too much about the the baseball MJs, at least for the Cardinals at this point. Thanks for the chirp of the week. Thanks to all of you for listening. And once again, thank you to Kyle for jumping in and talking about minor league baseball with me. We'll continue to follow that story as it goes along. Make sure you're following Birds on the Black on Twitter for all the good stuff coming from the site over there. Lots of people working hard on lots of different things. And I'm at Tara Wellman. He's at AlexCard79. Make sure that you tell us what you think of our random things as well as the rest of the episode. And don't forget to leave us a voicemail for next week so that we can answer your question and not just Alex's question. Although it was a good one to uh, to substitute in there. So I think that is it. I'm Tara. He's Alex. We'll talk to you next time.